I'm so excited about this message today because it's amazing what one single conversation can do in the life of somebody else. You ever had those conversations where someone said something to you that stuck with you for the rest of your life? And that's happened to me more than once. And that's what you're going to see today in John chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, take them and turn to John chapter 4. The famous conversation between Jesus and the woman at the well. But in this particular message, we're looking not just at what Jesus said to the woman, but what the woman said afterward that was so, so significant most of the time. We read John 4, and we kind of leave out what the woman did after she met Jesus. But what the woman did after she met Jesus was amazing. And I want us to see it today. And we're talking about one single conversation. Please stand with me as we read God's Word, beginning in John chapter 4. We'll pick up a little bit of what Jesus said to the woman. She has come to the well to get water, and Jesus, by the divine hand of God, has come to see her. And in the conversation with just Jesus and the woman, because the disciples have gone away to find food, he begins to introduce her to who he is. She has all kinds of questions of him. He begins to talk about living water versus just the water that the water well has. And eventually he reveals himself to her in a powerful way. So we're going to pick it up beginning in verse 25 where she says, the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who come, who is called the Christ. And when that one comes, he will declare all things to us. Now look at verse 26. Here's where we pick it up. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Jesus is introducing himself to her as the Messiah, as the anointed one, as the Savior of the world. Verse 27. At this point, the disciples came, and they were amazed that he had been speaking with a woman. Yet no one said, What do you seek, or why do you speak with her? So the woman left her water pot and went into the city and said to all the men in the city, Come see a man who told me all the things that I have done. This is not the Christ, is it? And they were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples were saying to one another, no one brought him anything to eat, did he? Can you, can you believe how many times these guys are talking about food when Jesus is trying to talk about spiritual things? I face that every week when I preach and everybody's thinking, what about lunch? What about food? <laughs> he doesn't have food, does he? Did somebody give him something to eat? And Jesus is having this amazing conversation with this woman at the well that led to her eternal security, and they're not even, they're not even thinking about it. No one brought him anything to eat, did they? Jesus said to him, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields that are already white with harvest. Already he who reaps is receiving wages and is gathering fruit for life eternal so that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this case, the saying is true. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. We'll explain that in just a moment. Verse 39. From that city or village, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified he told me all the things that I've done. So that when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they were asking him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. 
Many more believed because of his word, and they were saying to the woman, get this, it is no longer because of what you say that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this one is indeed the Savior of the world. One conversation, and a whole village comes and says, it's not what you're saying anymore. We know this is true. It's not just your word. We believe him. That's powerful. Father, show us how powerful this is and can be in our lives. In Jesus' name, and our God's people said, amen. amen. Please be seated if you would. Well, what a text. A backside conversation. I've been in conversations before where I hear most of the conversation, and then someone says something at the end, and I leave. And later on, someone says, did you catch the last thing they said? And often I have to confess, no, I didn't catch the last thing they said. I thought I heard the main part, and then I kind of moved on. If we're not careful, we can look at John 4 that way. We catch the big mountain peak of this conversation, but sometimes we miss the other part of this conversation that's so important. The part of the conversation where this woman becomes a prolific witness for Christ. As a matter of fact, I'll make this statement. This may be the greatest, most spontaneous most effective witnessing moment in the New Testament. This is on the par with Philip sharing with the Ethiopian eunuch, transported by the Spirit of God. This is on the same level of Paul at Mars Hill. Because what happens is this woman goes back to a Samaritan village. That's an unfriendly village for those of us that don't know what Samaritans and Jews had between each other. The Jews hated the Samaritans. The Samaritans hated the Jews. And all of the Samaritans come to believe in a Jewish Messiah because of the conversation of the woman. That's a big deal. That's like an ISIS village coming to love the United States of America. That doesn't happen without real big conversion. Amazing things are happening because of this one solitary conversation. So I want us to look at this today and break this conversation down to a way we understand it well. So there are some things that I want you to look at. Four of them today. Number one, I want you to notice that it all begins with an encounter that mattered. This is our Moments That Matter series, and, and this is an encounter that mattered. When this woman encountered Jesus, it mattered to her, and it mattered to her for the rest of her life and for all eternity. Because in verse 26, after all their conversation about the well water, and then the living water, and the conversation about religion, and what mountain do we worship on? And when she says, they say that there's a Messiah coming, and Jesus looks at her and reveals himself to her, that's an amazing encounter. Verse 26, I who speak to you am he. Look at me, the most important encounter in life is the encounter where Jesus reveals himself to you. That's true of this Samaritan woman, and it's true of your life. He personally revealed himself to her. And as we look at this whole conversation in verses 1 through 25, Jesus jumped over every barrier that man had thrown up in order to talk to her. He jumped over the gender barrier. Men and women were not to be seen together alone unless they were married. He jumped over the racial barriers. He was Jewish. She was half Jew and half Gentile, so therefore Samaritan. Jumped over the morality barrier. She was a woman of questionable reputation, and Jesus, of course, was sinless as God in the flesh. Jumped over every barrier to have this kind of conversation with her because her life mattered no matter who she was. Her life mattered to God, and it mattered to Jesus. 
That's something you can take home. That no matter who you are, Jesus wants a personal encounter with you. So after jumping all these barriers, Jesus starts with regular water, ends with the water of life, and this woman comes to embrace him as Lord and Savior. And I need you to know today, this is not a mental conversion, and it's not an information conversion. It's not that she just decided to choose to follow Jesus because of a few pieces of information. But this was a life encounter and a life conversion when she saw that Jesus was God and said, I am following you. When something like this happens, we use words to describe it. Conversion is a good word. Sometimes we use the word awaken. She was awakened to who Jesus was. We use the word salvation. People are saved when they have an encounter with Jesus, saved from their sin and saved to a brand new life. We use the word converted. They're converted from whatever else they were believing in to putting their faith and trust in Jesus, the Messiah. We sometimes use the word born again because Jesus uses it in John chapter 3. You must be born again. Sometimes we use the word uh, remade. We're a brand new creation. Old things have passed away. Everything becomes new. And when you look at these words and this woman's encounter, it explains why she's so different. Why is she so adamant that everybody else meets Jesus? Because she's been changed. Because she's been touched. This is an encounter that matters. It doesn't matter who it is. It doesn't matter how far gone they are. It doesn't matter how religious or irreligious they are. It doesn't matter how pagan or how Judeo-Christian their values are. Here's the truth. When people encounter Jesus, they are simply changed. And as you walk through the Bible, you'll see it over and over and over. I was reading through the Gospels the other day, and I kind of love to do this because I love to read deep where I focus on just a passage of Scripture, and I love to read wide where I read a lot of verses. That's why I encourage people to read through the Bible in the course of a year, and I do that most years. And, and, I, and the re- reason I do that is because what I see in a deep way in one chapter when I really focus on it, I see multiple times in a wide way when I see it all over Scripture. So I was reading wide in the Gospels this last week about miracle moments. What happens when people encounter Jesus? And how do they respond? If you read in the book of John, John the Baptist leapt while in his mother's womb when he heard the voice of Mary, mother of Jesus. I mean, this was before he was born. And he had an encounter in a supernatural, unusual way that we can't even fathom. When John the Baptist saw Jesus for the first time, laid eyes on him, he said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Two of John the Baptist's disciples that had been following him for years dropped everything to follow Jesus in John 1, 37 when they saw Jesus for the first time. One encounter, and they drop it all to follow him. Andrew, a man in the book of John, met Jesus and immediately went and found Simon, his brother, and said, we have found him. Come with me to see him. Philip met Jesus and rushed out to find Nathanael. Nathanael doubted and said, could any good man, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? But when he came, he thought and realized, yes, something good does come out of Nazareth. Zacchaeus, the little man, met Jesus and said, I'll give half what I have to the poor, and if I've defrauded anybody, I'll pay it back four times, all because he had one encounter with Jesus Christ. Mary Magdalene saw Jesus and seven demons left her body immediately. 
the demoniac that we know as the Gadarene or the Gerasene demoniac who had a legion of devils inside of him, one encounter with Jesus and all that legion of devils came out of him and into a herd of swine and into the water. Amazing. The dying thief who was dying because he was guilty on a cross next to Jesus called out and asked for paradise and got it from Jesus on the last day of his life. Doubting Thomas saw the resurrected Jesus and said, my Lord and my God, when all he had done before then was doubt Jesus' resurrection. Saul was blinded by Jesus on the road to Damascus and turned completely around from murdering those who followed Jesus to being one of those who followed Jesus. Listen, when you meet Jesus, everything changes. Changes in your life. It changes in the way you think. It changes in the way you say things and do things. An encounter that matters. Who in this room met Jesus and knew you were loved the moment you met him? Who in this room met Jesus and knew you were forgiven, that he washed your sins away just because you came to place your faith and trust in him? Who here met Jesus and knew you had found life meaning after you met Jesus? Who in this room met Jesus and saw change in your life simply because of his presence in you? You see, this, is, this encounter matters. It matters to everyone who experiences it. Here's something that I wrote down this last week. I read it and wrote it down. It says, conversion is the heart of God peeling back layers of life's trouble and heartache to reveal the good news of Jesus. The ones converted from the most troubling backgrounds make some of the most radical converts. Let me just tell you, this woman had a troubling background, but she was also a radical convert of Jesus Christ. And it doesn't really matter how far away you are from God. The moment you met Jesus, he will draw you and bring you close to himself and change you from the inside out. You may be embarrassed by your past, but let me tell you, God will take your past mess and make a message out of it. He'll take your past your past, whatever it is, and turn it into an incredible story and testimony of what God can do in your life. And that was going on with this woman, an encounter that mattered. But this woman does something for us that's really, really important. She shows us an invitation that matters, an invitation that matters. You see, everything I've just said about her is the foundation for her saying anything from this point on. She left her water pot the reason she had gone to the well is to get water. And she left her water pot there, forgetting about all the physical water that she could bring back to the village. She drops it all right there, and she runs back to the village with a very different purpose. She's there to be a witness. She's met Jesus. She's changed. Other people need to know about this. And so here is what I call an invitation that matters. Notice what she says in verse 29. Come see a man. Now, if I were to stop right there, that would probably be enough. Come see a man. Come see for yourself. Come meet the one that I met. But she goes on and says, come see a man who told me all the things that I've done. This is not the Christ, is it? So her change was so strong. Her conversion was so radical that she responded by saying, my village needs to meet this man. Everybody I know, all my friends, and possibly even my enemies need to meet this man that I've met. And so she goes to her village, leaves everything behind, and says, you need to come back and meet the one that I've met. Now, I'm going to pause right here for just a moment, and I'm going to say one of the most perplexing things in life for me is why we in this present day 
who know more about Jesus than this woman probably ever learned about him. And we know him personally in a way similar to what she knew him. And we do not do what she does. We are silent about our witness. 95% of Christians don't share their faith. And across the board, across the nation, across the world, people are largely silent in talking to other people about Jesus. And one of the saddest things in the world is the fact that we have something that we haven't learned to share with others well. And this woman's going to teach us today how simple it is, how powerful it is, how pervasive and influential it is if we just do what this woman, fresh, having an encounter with Christ, did in a significant way. And I want you to look at this invitation with me for just a moment and determine in your mind that if she can do it, you can do it. Look at what she did not have. She did not yet have morality. This woman, the Bible says in the first 25 verses of John chapter 4, is a woman that has had five husbands, the one she's living with, the man she's living with is not her husband presently, and Jesus told her that, so exposed her life. She doesn't have morality. She doesn't have reputation. She's not going to go back to the village, and the villagers look at her and say, well, she's got it all together. So obviously we should listen to her. That's not going to happen because they didn't know anything about the change in her life. She did not have knowledge. She's just met Jesus. She hasn't read the Old Testament. She doesn't know all that Jesus is going to say to his disciples. She's not going to ever be able to read about the apostles and all their words like we can today. She doesn't have knowledge. She doesn't have maturity. She just came to faith. She hasn't had any time to grow yet. She hasn't learned to have a prayer life. She hasn't learned to pray for the lost. She hasn't learned to uh, study her Bible. She hasn't learned to do any of those things. She doesn't have, has no maturity. She has no training. No one has taken her aside and said, now, before you go see those Samaritans, let us tell you a few things you ought to keep in mind. None of that happened. No training, no maturity, no morality, no reputation, no anything. The only thing she has is she has met Jesus. Now, here's my conclusion. If you have met Jesus, you have all you need to be a great witness for Jesus Christ. You know what an eyewitness is? Someone who has personally seen something take place. And this woman personally saw something take place. She met Jesus and she was forgiven and changed forever. And she became the ideal witness for others who had yet to meet Jesus Christ. This amazing invitation is so incredibly simple. We could list all day what she didn't have, but what she did have is an encounter with Christ. And she said, come and see. Come and see. Sometimes that's all you have. And sometimes that's all you have time for. And sometimes that's all you need. Come and see. Say those words with me. Come and see. Say them again. Come and see. I want you to think about how simple this invitation is. This woman who was newly converted to Christ had on her lips. It's the only thing she had, but it was obviously the only thing she needed. And come and see. It's part of the invitation that we can make. If we have the ability and the time to share the full, complete gospel of Jesus Christ with somebody that we are befriending, then by all means do that. But if we don't have that time or if we don't feel the opportunity is there, then just say, come and see. Come and see. Come worship with me. Come gather with me as I encounter Jesus week by week. Come and see. Come and see is all you need. We're not just inviting someone to see programs. We're not inviting 
someone to see how we do things. We're not inviting someone to just get to know other people. We're inviting them to experience the Word of God. We're inviting them to experience the Spirit of God. We're inviting them to experience the Son of God. And as we worship and as we open the Word, that's what happens. And when you say come and see, people can come and see for themselves where the God is speaking to them. It's amazing to me that some people come to a worship service or they come to a gathering in a home somewhere. People are talking about Jesus around the room or someone is teaching about Jesus. And they are stunned and surprised when Jesus reveals himself to them personally. And often their words are, you know, I didn't know that that was going to happen when I went to that church service. I didn't know that was going to happen when I went to that Bible study group. But in the middle of that room, in the middle of that conversation, all of a sudden, Jesus revealed himself to me. Come and see. If you're wondering, then come and see. Because when you come and see, Jesus can work in a supernatural way in your life. Come and see. When I talk to people outside the church and, and invite them to come and see, when I ask, invite them to come and worship with us, uh, sometimes they say things like or ask things like this, does your church love all kinds of people? And I simply say, well, come and see. Do you know how to help my marriage? Can the church help my marriage? Well, come and see. Will I meet people I can connect with? Well, come and see. Will I find God if I come? I, I don't know, but come and see. And no matter what question people have, you can respond by saying, come and see. Because when you bring people to encounter the living God, don't be shocked when they encounter the living God. Here we have a woman that had just one statement that she used to witness, and it was come and see. Come and see. Everybody can say this. And if everybody were to say this, every week to somebody... Can you imagine how many lives might be changed by people who came and saw, who came and encountered Christ, who came and met someone else that told their story to them? This woman said, come and see. And an entire village came to faith in Christ. All I need to do is invite others to come and see Jesus. But I want you to see that there's also a part that matters in this message too, because Jesus pauses at this woman's faith and at her obedience. He pauses and he stops and uses it for a teaching moment for the disciples. And I want you to see what he says here in verse 35. He says, don't you say that there are four months and then comes to the harvest. He said, lift up your eyes and look on the fields that are white with harvest. That's, that's one way of Jesus kind of giving a word picture to these disciples standing in a lower part of ground near the well up on the hill, the village where all the villagers were coming out because of the invitation of the woman. And all these people in their light-colored robes coming down the hillside, the disciples hear Jesus pointing up and saying, lift up your eyes and look on the fields that are white with harvest. This woman has gone and reaped a harvest. And she just met me. And you were out looking for food. My food is to do the will of him who sent me so that people can be changed. But part of this is a statement that Jesus makes. One sows and another reaps. Now, there's a lot here that we don't have time to unpack, but let me simplify. Jesus is saying to the disciples, for many, many years, decades, and even centuries, prophets have come and prophesied about the Christ. So they prophesied and pointed to a day when Jesus would come. And as they prophesied, the people waited, and the people waited, and the people waited. And while they were prophesying, seeds were being sown. 
Now Jesus has come fulfilling all those prophecies and he is the prophesied one. He is the fulfillment of the prophecy of the Old Testament prophet. He is the Messiah and he has come. And now from that moment forward, all are to go out and point out that Jesus Christ is that fulfillment as a day of harvest. So it was a day of sowing seeds, a day of fulfillment, and a day of harvest. And Jesus is saying to the disciples, now I want you to realize that there are people who are going to come to put their faith in me that heard the word of the prophets. Others have heard about the word of the prophets. But when you share that Jesus is the Messiah, they will be able to have faith. Now, in one sense, that's the eschatological approach to what Jesus is saying here. But in another sense, it's even more practical. And here's what he's saying. We all have a part. Some plant seeds, some water, and some harvest. But you don't have to do it all. You just do your part. One of the most famous prayers we have around here is, what's my part? If everyone would just do their part the way this woman did her part, then many, many people would come to faith in Christ. Paul said it like this as he wrote to the church at Corinth. Paul had been the apostle that went there first and planted lots of seeds, but it was after Apollos came that everyone really became to come to faith in Christ. So Paul said this, I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. You see the parts there? One planted, another watered. God was the one that ultimately caused it all to happen. Some of us are sowers. Some of us are reapers. But all of us may participate in all parts, but whatever part it is that you're involved with, just do what your part is and God will use you. We all must play at least one part in being a witness. Whenever I share the gospel with somebody, here's really the truth of what happened. I am not the first person that's had a conversation with them. Somebody else has at some point down the road. When I introduce Christ to someone, that's not the first time they've thought of Jesus. Many of them have been thinking for Jesus for a long time. But when I share the gospel with someone, I may be someone harvesting what someone else has sown. And you may be the one that sowed that. When I share the gospel with someone and they don't respond positively, I realize I'm just sowing right now. I'm putting seeds out there. Someone else down the line will come to faith in Jesus. One night we were having a get-together uh, and we'd gone out and shared Christ with some people in the area. And I remember Kathy Jones, our preschool minister, uh, had a story to tell. And here's what she said. She said, you know, tonight we went and visited a woman in one of the homes that we had been assigned. And, uh, and she said, tonight she came to faith in Jesus. We all celebrated. Then Kathy said, yeah, she came to the cross service where pastor preached about the cross and gave the invitation. And she didn't respond with the pastor's invitation, but she responded to my invitation. And it immediately broke my heart that she didn't respond <laughs> to my invitation, but to Kathy's invitation. It didn't really break my heart. It showed me the process. The process is sometimes we plant and sometimes we reap, but we're never by ourselves in this. In amazing numbers of times when I've talked to people about Christ, they've said, you know, it's interesting that you should bring that up because I was just thinking and somebody else just said something to me about that a few weeks ago and now here you are talking about that and I'm just thinking, man, I'm just part of a process. I don't know what God is doing all over the place, but I know God's in charge of that. I just need to do my part at the moment whether it's planting or whether it's reaping or watering, whatever it is. So she's a part of the process. And Jesus said to the disciples, you're a piece of the process. No one has to do it all. We all have a part in the kingdom of God. And when we all do our part, God does the miraculous in the lives of others. Come and see 
And you'd be amazed at how many people would say, you know, I've been thinking about that or I want to respond to that today. But finally, there is something that we can't miss here. And that is a reward that matters. This is so powerful. In verse 42, the Bible says very, very clearly that these in the Samaritan village believed because of his word. And they were saying to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and know that this one is indeed the Savior of the world. What a great story, a testimony. From Samaritan villagers to say, we know beyond doubt that Jesus is the Savior of the world. That's a powerful profession of faith. Clearly, the woman didn't give them all that information. Jesus did when they responded to the come and see that the woman gave her. That's convincing. It's powerful. They had their own encounter. And as a reward for this woman, her friends, her neighbors, and maybe even some of her enemies came to embrace Jesus Christ. The reward is people. When you have a child that comes to faith in Christ, you rejoice because you love that child. When you have a friend that comes to Christ, you rejoice because you want that friend to find Jesus and you want them to know eternity with you. When you have a loved one, and even an enemy that comes to faith in Christ, you rejoice and there's incredible reward there because you want them to have the same freedom that God granted you by his grace and by his favor. It's really, really amazing. Sometimes I think we forget how big of a conversion this really is and how big of salvation issues really are at stake in sharing the gospel. So therefore, we don't really think about that. But with me for a moment, think about what salvation is. It means that we move from death to life. It means that we move from being spiritually dead and incapable of knowing God, incapable of knowing truth, not understanding what's best or what's right at all. We move from death to life where we realize that God is real, that God speaks, that God leads, that God guides from death to life. We move from darkness to light. From being dark, like being in a room blinded by darkness and not being able to find our way, not being able to make the right decisions, not being able to have the right kind of relationship, not being able to extricate ourselves from the power and the pull of sin. We're in darkness, but when we come to Christ, all of a sudden the room light has been turned on and we see where we are. We move from darkness to light. When we are saved and come to Christ, we move from separation to forgiveness. That is, we're separated from God forever and impossibly separated. We can't do anything about it ourselves because sin separates us from a holy God. And we will be forever separated unless we come to faith in Jesus. And when we are, we are forgiven and brought together by the blood of Jesus Christ. We move from Satan's power to God's power. And who doesn't want their friends to experience God's power instead of Satan's power and pull? And then we move finally from hell to heaven from the place of eternal separation from God forever and ever and ever, eternal torment forever and ever, to heaven where we are with God forever and ever, in his presence, in the peace of God, and with those who follow him. Now you think about these things for just a few moments. It is a reward in and of itself when we are part of that process of sowing, watering, or reaping so that people can come to faith in Jesus Christ. Come and see. It was some time ago that I saw a video on YouTube of a car wreck. A motorcycle had run into the side of an automobile, and it was a horrible, horrible, tragic wreck. 
the motorcyclist had ended up underneath the car and was stuck there along with the motorcycle under there and the person in the car was incapacitated. Nobody could help. But cars began to stop all around them and it didn't take long for some of these people to get out of their cars and come over to the vehicle that was in the collision and realize what they needed to do. So they all kind of formed a half circle on one side of the car and they all reached down and lifted that car up. Somebody pulled the motorcycle out and then pulled the motorcyclist out. And it was obvious he was alive and it was obvious they'd saved his life and then they dropped the car again. There was a huge celebration of it. You saw several news releases of it. You see it still on YouTube today. We all celebrate the saving of a life and I celebrate the saving of a life too. But you know what's better than saving of a life? is saving of an eternal life. What's better than saving of a life? It's a bunch of people realizing we have a part to play. We don't know exactly how to do it, but here's what we know. When someone hears the invitation to come and see, and when they come and see Jesus, all of heaven shouts, all that rejoicing is taking place because their life is eternally different. And that's what we're called to do as witnesses. It's a very simple, simple invitation. Come and see and an amazing, amazing reward. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, there's this verse. And here's what it says. After Paul talks about being faithful in preaching and being faithful to do the work of an evangelist, he says, you know, I've run my race. He said, I've fought my fight. He said, the time of my departure is at hand. I'm about to go see Jesus. But he said these words, he said, in the future, there is a laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. Why would God give eternal reward for people who are faithful with the gospel and share the good news with other people? The reason the Lord would give a reward is because the Lord loves those people around you who need to hear the very simple invitation of come and see. He loves them just like he loves you. He loves them no matter how far from him they now are, no matter how dark their mind, no matter how dead they are spiritually, no matter how separated they are by their sins, no matter what their destination destination is eternally, no matter what it is, he loves them and rewards those who go. You know, we're fond of saying go and make disciples around here, but it's really kind of a process. Go and make time for somebody. A simple conversation is what we had here. Go and make conversation with people. Go and make friends with people who are far from God. And then you go and make disciples. Go and make time. Go and make conversation. Go and make friends. Go and make disciples. Come and see. I want you to bow together with me in prayer. Just a moment. We'll worship for a brief moment or two. And I'll ask you to respond today. There are counselors that will come to the front. They're making their way to the front now. They'll be on hand during our time of worship for you to respond. And let me just say today, you may be like that woman at the well, and you're not thinking of eternal things as much as you are just regular water, how to make it from day to day, how to meet the need that you have in your life, how to, how to make ends meet, how to just survive. But this woman was barely getting by till she met Jesus. And when she met him, she began to thrive with eternal water. And maybe today you've heard about this salvation, this conversion that happened to her, and you've realized something's missing in your life. You've never had that experience that would make you want to go tell others like it made her. 
want to go tell others. And today, my invitation there in our worship is for you to come and respond. Talk to one of these people saying, I need to know Jesus in a personal way, the way this woman needs to know Jesus. Don't be embarrassed. Don't be shy. Don't hold back. There's nothing better for you to do over these next few moments at all rather than make this decision. Make it now. And it may be in our worship time, you'll be thinking about those around you that you need to be saying the same thing the woman said to her friends. Come and see. Don't let a day go by. Don't let a week go by where you don't say those words. Come and see and watch God work. Father, in Jesus' name, today we want to say come and see to all those around us. But today we want to say to those in this room, come and meet Jesus for yourself. Come and get to know him in a personal way. Lord, help us to respond to you boldly because we have a need to know you. We ask this in Jesus' name.